Welcome to Whatcom New Life Assembly's Sermon of the Week, where, as always, it's all good news. For more info on how to get involved in our church or to partner with our ministry, please visit us at whatcomnewlifeassembly.org. So I was really excited. I was really excited for first service, and now like, I'm nervous for second service because I feel like I blabbed out good stuff. Now, Lord, do it again. I just want to give props to our youth worship team and to our, yeah, come on. Brittany and Zeb are doing a great job. Brittany is leading greatly there. Lots of great support. But this is one generation declaring the works of the Lord to the next. This is hopefully who you'll see up here one day, right, in the big church, the main service. But clearly you can see they're working on their craft and on the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Lord. That's being stirred up. And that's what we pass on. That's what we want to pass on. Please, Jesus. Yes, yes, yes. So I, I have been really quite excited to share. And that does scare me a little bit because I'm like, oh, well, then, then it better be good. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We've been doing, and this is the final day, on a series of, on worship. This is the final day for worship. So if you didn't get it out earlier, you might have a chance later. I want to review very quickly, okay, really quickly, the seven Hebrew words, not all of them which we've gone through, but most of them, that Andy has been presenting for, for worship or praise. Okay, there are seven of them. I'm going to just rocket fire them at you. And then we're going to get into some other things. But I think it's important to just set the stage. The first one, halal, it's where we get our hallelujah. It means to boast or brag, clamorously foolish. So it's not like quiet. It's cl- it can look clamorously foolish. Psalm 113.1, praise, halal, O servants of the Lord, halal the name of the Lord. Okay, number two, yada, to throw, to shoot, extend the hand. Psalm 63, 4 says, I will yada you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. Number three, zamar, to pluck the strings. I'm not very good at that, and you might not be either, but it doesn't matter. Psalm 150, verse three, praise him with the sounding of the trumpet, zamar him with the harp and lyre. Number four, tehillah. And that's not a different thing. A song of praise. I only just realized what that sounds exactly like. Tehillah is a song of praise. To sing, to laud, it's a song of halals. Thankfully, there's not a quiz, right? I'm on number four if you were keeping track. Psalm 22, 3, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the Tehillah of Israel. You are the song of Israel. Number five, Barak, to kneel down, to bless in adoration. Psalm 95, 6 says, come let us worship and bow down. Let us Barak before the Lord, our God, our maker. Number six, Shabbat. I don't think Andy talked about this one, but that's okay. It sounds a lot like the shaka. There's a lot of CHs, man. Shabak. Loud praise. To shout. To command. To triumph. Psalm 145, verse 4. One generation shall shabak your works to another and declare your mighty acts. That's what we just got to be a part of. That was one generation shabaking. I'm sure that's wrong. To the rest of us. Listen, Andy's the English major. I was PE. Number seven, toda, toda, confession, thanksgiving. Psalm 100, verse four, and this verse has at least four of those different words encompassed in one. It says this, enter his gates with thanksgiving, toda, 
and his courts with praise, Tehillah, thanksgiving and a song. Give thanks, Yada, to him and bless Barak, his name. Sing thanks, uh, clamorous foolishness and bowing, all in one. Wow. These are simply expressions of worship, right? They're not song styles. Okay, they're not like, I'm going to pick that one and then that one. Okay, they, they're, they're all different expressions. And we get to do all of them. The Hebrew word, and we've talked about this here before. This is still review if you're looking at your notes. The Hebrew word for worship is shabak. Not like barak. Oh, excuse me, shaka. See, look at that. I should read. There was shabak, but this is shaka. It means to go low and to lay down. So similar to Barak. <laughs> Aren't you glad you don't have to say all these words? Shaka, to lay low. Worship is the ultimate surrender. And if you've ever been up here, you realize what a surrendering it is to come in front of a group of people <laughs> to then display your gift, if you will. Right? But then when we add, this is not a concert, so it's different than I'm coming to display my gift, you've come to hear me play the guitar, you know what you're getting. Okay, thank you, you didn't come for that. When we add worship to that, there is a whole laying low of yourself, your pride that you don't, we don't see, but it is a laying low when we come before the ultimate surrender. Really quick, I'm going to give you a summary of what I'm going to say. Okay? Three things. None of this is revelatory. I don't believe I'm going to share with you anything brand new. But I am going to remind you of some truth that you need to be reminded of because I needed to be reminded to think again on, to look again at, to go over it again. I think I shared a few Sundays ago that um, <laughs> I go to the gym sometimes inconsistently to work out. And I like the weights, okay? Or maybe I'm just liking thinking about weights. I love this analogy with worship. In fact, I love it with the Christian life. It just works, okay? I never go to the gym once, lift that weight once, and say, oh, it didn't work for me, I'm done. I mean, maybe that's your experience, I don't know. But if that's my consist, if that was my experience, oh, I did that once in the past, it didn't work. Can you see the relationship between that and a lot of other things that we might quit? It's, this, it's so in worship. Oh, I tried that once, didn't work. This ain't magic, folks. Songs aren't magic, folks. Coming here is not magic and will not fix you. Just walking in the building, it'll do good things. Do not forsake the gathering together of the brethren. There is health in coming, but it's not a magic pill that you swallow and you go, whoop, look at me, Christian life, yay. Went to the gym once and I did that one thing once. So now I've given it up. So in all of this, I want you to hear, we continue in worship. There is a journey. There's a journey. Here, here's my three-point summary, okay? Really quick, and then I'm going to lay it out. We're going to look at Old versus New Testament presence. We're going to look at a few things about my favorite guy, Moses, and the presence. And then we're going to hear a few lessons from second graders. Okay? It all relates to worship, or at least I'm going to twist it into relating. Before I start, I want to say this. I haven't even started, folks. <laughs> God is often doing new things, but often not in the same way. It can be challenging because you can't get comfortable with one expression. Because then he changes his expression. And look, he's got at least seven or eight words of expressing to choose from. 
So we've got to be on the journey with him. Here we go, Old and New Testament presence. Old Testament presence, what did it look like? It looked like a temple. I think I have a picture for you, okay? This here you're looking at, I believe, is Solomon's version of the temple. Moses had the portable version. Solomon got to build this, the real, I was going to say stick built, that's wrong, stone. Okay, temple of stone. And then Herod, when Jesus came along, Herod had added some things. He put up some decor. Okay, so here is the version of the temple that, that all through, well, most of the Old Testament. And Jesus also came upon this version. Okay, here's what it was. We have the outer courts. And it's okay if you can't read those words. We have the outer courts. Who can go there? The women. Okay, the Nazarites. They have a special place. There's like four blocks kind of in that outer court. One was for Nazarites. One was for lepers to bathe. I'm not sure how they got to come close. I thought they were living outside the camp. Storage for wood, wine, and oil. So that's all in the outer courts. Women, congratulations, that's as far as you can go. I kind of, I kind of overlay my experience of church. This is, a, this is a bit of a shadow of church. And I think, what if we could only come in the gym? Women. And probably the gym because the kids are down at that end, so that's good, right? So we'd own women in the gym only. Good, far enough. Then we have the inner court. The inner court is the men's court and the priest's court. So men can come, well, average men. And then priests can come a little further. Then we get to the fun places. Then we get to the holy place. Okay, it's still not the real inner place. It's a holy place. Only priests, only priests. And then there's the most holy place or the holy of holies, right? One priest gets to go there once a year. He has to have massive preparation, clothing, bathing, super cool outfit, <laughs> bell tied to his ankle or robe just in case he drops dead once he enters, okay? So that's what he's facing, possible death. And I can't help but think of Petra. Take me past the outer courts. Anybody? Take me into the holy of holies. If you don't know who Petra is. <laughs> YouTube. You know what? It's probably good that some of you don't. It's probably good. Here's what this version, this system says about the presence of the Lord, okay? It's restricted to a building. It's divisions to individual access. Women only so far. Regular men only so far. Most of the priests only so far, and only one guy once a year really gets to go close. Okay? It says formality. There's a ceremonial approach. Lots of different sections of bathing in this whole scheme. Right? Like, wash here, do this. I don't know. There's a formal approach. And lastly, there's fear. At least there would be for me. I realize I could not have been chosen as the one priest once a year, but if I'm a male and a priest, I would... That's scarier than it is fun. Right? If you don't prepare pro properly, you're dead. You're dead. And yet, even in this system, people experienced his presence really quickly. David, oh, love him. Who doesn't? Heart after the Lord, right? In, in a version of this system, that's what David experienced. Solomon, also a version of this system. And yet he experienced God speaking to him and talking to him, and he experienced the presence. Some of my favorites who are in the New Testament as Jesus comes, Simeon. Simeon's one of my favorites. He hears from the Holy Spirit that he's not going to die till he's seen the Messiah. And they come in to, uh, whoa, what's it called? Off, thank you. To dedicate Jesus, and there's Simeon. So he hears, even in this system. And then another favorite right in that story, Anna the prophetess. She's married early. Her husband dies young. 
She lives in the temple. I don't know where her quarters were, but she doesn't have a lot of choices. She lives in the temple for like, what does it say? Like 80 some years. She's waiting. I know. It's a lot. And yet the Lord speaks to her. The Lord is speaking to her. She's hearing. Hmm. Even in this system, there's an experience to be had with the Lord, right? Let's look at New Testament presence, okay? At the moment of Jesus' death, what happens? The curtain. Here's a little bit of what I know about the curtain. It's 60 feet high. It's, I'm terrible estimating heights and amount of people. 60 feet high and possibly four inches thick. That's some serious material. That's some serious material to be ripping. What is that saying to us? The Holy Spirit is now on the loose. The presence of God has been loosed. I don't know, like, I don't, that's such a, I don't know why that moment is so fascinating for me in scripture, but it really is. Like, I wonder if there was a priest around or a couple priests around and they saw it. Or, I don't know, like, because there was also earthquakes and graves open and people rise and I don't know how to make the sense of that but it happens. So there's a bunch of craziness that happens on Jesus the moment he dies. So the spirit of God is on the loose. Here's what that says. He's no longer restricted to a building. Okay? A new and living way has been opened. Hebrews 10:20. All divisions are gone. He's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Galatians 3.28 says there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female. My little aside on this, I don't believe that is a commentary on androgyny, okay, or not having a culture. I believe that's a, there's no more sections. Women, you can come further, right? Women, you can come all the way. Slaves, come all the way. Nazarites, come all the way. Lepers, come on in. Come on in. All formalities are gone. Hebrews 10, 11 talks about the priests who over and over, day after day, are sacrificing, and it's not really working, right? It can never take away sin. But Jesus is now the sacrifice once and for all. And finally, fear has been eradicated. The fear of that presence has been removed. Perfect love casts out fear. So what kind of experiences were happening after the temple curtain tour? Well, book of Acts. A mighty wind, tongues of fire, crazy stuff happening, right? Massive revival. Peter experiences a trance and hears from heaven, right? Paul is struck blind or soul and hears a voice from heaven. Okay, revelations of the future written by John. Radical life changes, heart transformations that reach through history and change the world. All because Jesus is now accessible anywhere and everywhere. And this is really important. And it's really important to us as worshipers. And it's important to us to recognize as, oh, there's something about the presence that was once contained that's now on the loose. And I can come near. Hmm. <laughs> Here's where my friend Moses comes into play. I like Moses because he's a presence guy. In Exodus, it talks about how as the Israelites are camping around and doing dumb stuff, Moses goes to the tent of meeting every day. He meets with the Lord. He talks as face-to-face, -face, it says, right? So Moses, is he's there with the Lord. I don't, I'd long to know what they said, <laughs> I long to know what they said. But then there's the golden calf incident. If you remember the story, Moses goes up and leaves because God's on a mountain now. Okay, God's on the mountain. Moses is a really long time and these guys go crazy. Okay, so much so that they build a calf. So there's that instance and then Moses comes down, smashes the tablets. It's all, it all goes crazy. What are we going to do? Here's what God says after that. God says, the promise still stands. Who's saying that? I didn't even mean that to happen. The promise still stands. Feel free to go. You'll still get 
the uh, promised land flowing with milk and honey. Go ahead and go on your way, but I'm not coming. This is what God says to Moses right after the whole gold, golden calf incident. Go ahead. Promise is with you. Good job. I'm not coming. Here is Moses' response. Moses is a guy who knows the Lord. They've met a lot. Okay? Exodus 33, 15 to 17. Then Moses said to him, after he said, you go, I'm not coming. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. I have a different version than you might be reading. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all other people on the face of the earth? It says, what else will distinguish me and your people? Oh, you have my version. What else will distinguish us? What else but the presence of the Lord will distinguish you and me? What else will distinguish us? I love that Moses spent a lot of time meeting with the Lord. He talked to the Lord a lot, and he gets to talk back to the Lord a lot. He does. The Lord says, go ahead, I'm not coming. And he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. We can't do that. And God's like, okay. Fine, I'll come. I'll be with you. Because of Moses' relationship with the Lord in the presence. Do you have a relationship with the Lord in his presence? The Hebrew word for presence is panim. And it means to turn. It would be more like this. To turn and face. Right? To turn. Moses on the mountain asked to see God's glory. To see his face. But God said, I can't do that. It'll kill you. Here, hide in the rock. And I'll just show you the back. And that was good enough. And that was good enough for Moses to come down. And his face is glowing. So just the back of God was enough to like whew, create some crazy physical transformation where he's glowing. So much so that he has to wear a veil, right? He's wearing a veil, a man in a veil. That's a weird picture to me. Doesn't seem very manly, but Moses did it so that other people wouldn't be like, weird. They couldn't look at him. So he put a veil over his face. What happens when Jesus breathes his last? The curtain is torn. The veil is removed. The veil is removed. Now we can go in. Now we can see there's no more separation and no more concealing. God is no longer concealed from us or to us. We are free to see. We are free to draw near. We are now the temple of the living God. 2 Corinthians 6.16 says, For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. 1 Corinthians 6.19, Your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So Old Testament, God lives on a mountain, right? God lives in a cloud and in a building. In the New Testament, it's in us. We're the new vessel. We're the new wineskin. Here's what's interesting. Did you know that a new wineskin can only receive the new wine because it's a flexible container? A flexible container. So old wine works in the old wineskin, but it becomes rigid, right? And the Bible says... I can't pour new wine into that old because it'll burst. So I need a new wineskin. I need a new heart. But it's got to be a flexible container. And so I just think in my own heart, am I a flexible container? I'm pretty sure there's some places that have gotten quite rigid in me. Where I'm like, nope, nope, Lord, nope. <laughs> not, not taking that. <clears throat> You know, we've been walking through a series in worship, 
And we've, we've kind of tried to reflect that with our, with our worship style as well. We've done hymns. We've done some 60s and 70s. I think we might have skipped the 80s, but I don't know. Last week was my favorite. Because in the 2000s was kind of when I got into worship. Before that, I was listening to Abba and Neil Diamond. <laughs> and I'm not 80. Or 70 or 60. Okay, so I don't know what happened there in my background, but it's just who I was listening to. So 2000s, I have this history with the Lord, right? I'm like, yeah, happy day. I remember when we were singing that. Leading youth group. I remember that. And I have a memory a history with the Lord when that song comes up, right? Songs and smells are, are some of the most powerful memory sparkers, if you will. We have, like, you hear an old song on the radio, whatever it is, you're like, oh, yes, I love it. That's why those those crazy infomercials about like compilation CDs from the 50s and 60s and whenever like I'm fascinated by them it's like oh yes I wasn't born then but I, I, I love that era oh I love that era I love the 70s I do so we have a history with something we have a history with a song we have a history where it brings up a memory I hope that you have a history with the Lord Right, so often in church we could look around and many of you have been through moves of the Lord where things were just crazy popping, right? Crazy, people are just getting saved, there's awesome worship and you have a memory with that. People are probably part of it. It's, it's so good, good feels. We should have a history, <laughs> We should have something that we can remind ourselves. Remember when the Lord moved? Oh, I love that. But we should also have a current and ongoing experience with his presence. We should have a current one. As the worship leader here, my emphasis, if you will, in leading worship can be summed up in one word. And it's presence. That's it. I want us to experience that as a group every week. That's what we're going after. So those who are on our team, we want them skilled. Like you're not going to be invited up here if you, if you can't actually play something or maybe sing. Okay, I, you, well, the first service was like, they knew who that was. And second, you're like all oh, being nice. I don't know, is it too warm in here? You falling asleep? I'm, I'm making a dig at John right there, okay? Wow, you guys needed help through that moment, and I am scared. Shake it off, shake it off. Okay, people are gifted and skilled. Not just in worship, but in life, right? And it's amazing when that skilled and gifted person glorifies the Lord with what they do. But we should all have an experience with the presence of the Lord, regardless of our ability to play the drums, because I don't have it, or our ability to play guitar, or whatever it is. It's not limited to the plucking of strings, or simply the singing, right? It's the kneeling, it's the raising of hands. It's all thing. it's all a part of that expression. It's all a part of that expression. <laughs> it's what we're going after here. Here's a third part of my message. <laughs> the Lord's been talking to me recently, again, not in maybe what you'd think huge revelatory things, right? I, it's not like I'm perceiving massive sin in my life because I... I'm hiding a past where I shot someone or whatever. You fill in the blank. Like, I have not done anything. Oops. I was also almost going to say not done anything illegal, but I, it's not true. <laughs> that you would maybe arrest me for. Okay, so the Lord isn't bringing those things up in me. But I have recently started 
a long-term sub-job at my kid's elementary school in the second grade. I know. (laughs) I have a PE degree, and anything under, like, the third grade is a little challenging. There's a lot of management that I didn't realize was going to be happening at the second grade level. Now, I have foolishly subbed in kindergarten at other times, not again. But I was like, oh, second grade, they got to be a little more independent, right? A little bit more. I am grateful for this experience because the Lord is just doing some flexibility training with me. Anybody? Anybody? Sit and reach. Come on. P.E. Hello. You try to rip your hamstring muscles just to get that one more inch. This is the flexibility that the Lord is talking to me about. And I want to set the stage before I tell you how second graders are um, teaching me about worship. Let's reverse about a year. About a year. I um, was also subbing. I've been subbing in a lot of schools around the area. And the Lord was kind of leading me towards a door that looked like the perfect job opportunity. Literally the perfect job. And no joke, like, he was just setting me up. I had favor coming in, and then more doors opened within the school, and then just meeting the teacher that I needed to meet who happened to say, hey, I'm going to be moving next year. Do you want this job? Kind of like that. Like, so it was just this setup, favor after favor, that I'm like, yes, Jesus. Perfect timing. My daughter's about to go into kindergarten. I mean, this just couldn't be more perfect, Jesus. Hallelujah. Had a great interview, had relationship with the people at this place. At the last minute, a teacher from another school with more seniority slipped in. Yes, it was heartbreaking for me. But, but more than that, I didn't realize how, like, I, I pouted for like six months about it. Maybe more. Yeah, more. And it just, like, I'm questioning my purpose. I'm like, Lord, did I really hear you? Like, I, at 19, I felt like the Lord said, go and get your teaching degree. Like, just kind of almost vision from heaven, here's the path. I mean, that doesn't always mean that the path and doors open beautifully, right? But I at least knew my feet were in the right direction. And and again, oh, this is perfect timing, Jesus. Yes, all you, you, you. And I, like, I'm really struggling. I'm really like, okay, maybe I'm supposed to do something else. I don't know if I'm, I took a juggling class in college. Maybe that's where I should go. No joke. Circus arts, it's part of the PE major. You try riding a unicycle. I'd like to see you. No joke, we did it. Um, I couldn't teach anyone to do that, but I could juggle a little bit, just a little bit. Anyway, I am, I'm pouting. <laughs> I'm, I'm mad at the Lord. I'm, yeah, you, you, know, you know it. I hope, wow, I don't want to hope you know that, but yeah, that's how it was. Come January of this year, I had a dream that I knew was from the Lord. Now, I'm not a big, ooh, dreams from the Lord. Um, I know other people have them, and I love them. Andy is like always getting dreams, <laughs> It's no fair. He really is, right? Like, in, in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Young men having visions. What do I get? What do I get? I have had maybe three dreams that I knew that I knew that I knew were from the Lord. And they were, like, scarily specific about students in our former youth group. Like, revealing awful things that they were doing. And I'm like, whoa, Jesus, okay. So it's probably a good thing I don't have a lot of dreams like that. So I have this dream, and it was really simple, but I knew what it meant. Like, in the dream, there was a rainbow, and to me, that just represented opportunity and a new season. And I just woke up with this reassurance, like, okay, I can say yes to that, Lord. I don't know what that looks like, but at this moment, I'm willing to say yes. So come about mid-January, I am approached by one of the teachers at my kid's school, and he needs kind of a long-term stub. So I'm stepping in to second grade. 
I'd be much more comfortable in a gym, kind of yelling instructions at kids and yelling encouragement, whistling really loud. That's more my vibe, okay? But second grade is not the place to do that. Although I will admit, I've whistled at him pretty good a few times. So here's what the Lord has been doing in me while I'm teaching second grade. He's been talking to me not about, you know, am I a great worshiper or should I dance more? Should I consider a flag ministry? (laughs) Nothing like that. I'm not prophesying. Anyway, um, he's been talking to me about the thoughts and attitudes of my heart via second graders. And I, like, that's not what I wanted. <laughs> I wanted a job, and it would just be all smiles and giggles and wonderful. But I know I'm not the only one who has thoughts and attitudes in their heart that need some adjusting. And here are the things I've been learning about worship and the presence in second grade. The truth will set you free. And forgiveness is the key to any and every relationship, including this one. And it makes way for community and for the presence to exist and move in our life. The truth will set you free. Forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. So no joke, little, a little few secrets about my second graders. Oh, I'll just zip through it, I'm sure. Um... I have some challenging personalities in my class. There's one little girl who started out with my time in there just like constantly telling me, no, very loudly. She's got some issues. Running out of the class, all that kind of stuff. So there's one. Then we have, there are 14 boys in the classroom and six girls. It's a super unique makeup, like super unique. Let me just tell you, in a group, girls kind of... They kind of smooth out some things, at least in the younger grades. I don't know, maybe I'm probably middle school, no. But but in the younger grades, like girls sit properly. They're a little quieter for the most part. This is a grand generalization, but that's for the most part, okay? Boys are like, there's constant fighting. There's a lot of tattling in the second grade, a lot. I guess I was not prepared for it. So I decide, and I'm given the opportunity from the classroom teacher, he says, give them a new seating plan. They're due for a change. I mean, and do you remember school? I don't know, maybe it was different if you're much older, but like, oh, we got a new seating plan. Who am I going to sit by? Like, it just changes the day. Changes can sometimes be fun, or it can be devastating because you're sitting by you-know-who. So I decide I'm going to put my my class in groups. They were formerly in lines. Now they're in groups. Groups requires togetherness and community and talking and interacting with each other. And I knew I was stepping into it. I could see, I could see that I did my best to divide and conquer. But, you know, you just can't always anticipate every every interaction. So, I mean, it's breaking loose in the classroom. A couple Fridays ago, there's a fight on the playground, so that's not my fault. (laughs) But I know the individuals involved, and I'm like, yeah, I might have punched him too. Um, (laughs) No joke. Okay, not me, but like if I was a second grader. (laughs) If I was a second grader. That's why I don't have a job. Uh, Wow. See, I knew it would be more interesting this second time. I don't think first service got that one. Anyway, needless to say, we're struggling in community. We're struggling. So much so that this last week, we did a little um, class activity where we kind of brainstormed on the word forgiveness. Forgiveness. It, It was good... And it was challenging. What does this word mean to you? What does that look like? What does that sound like? 
Oh, they were challenged by that. I mean, they, they're coming with me, but they were challenged. Oh, forgiveness is key. If you hold on to things, I mean, I, I know I'm talking about second graders, but I can see this reflected in me. If I hold on to stuff, every little offense, you looked at me wrong again. I mean, that's what second grade is. They're not can You think that's kindergarten, but no. <laughs> right? They're looking at me. They're, they took my pencil or they, they didn't move. It's endless. <laughs> but we're working through it. But if I don't forgive and then walk in like, hey, I'm, I'm still here to be in relationship, right? Forgiveness says I reset the standard and now we can be in relationship again. If I don't do that, my community is me alone. Me, me, me. And while that might seem safe to you, you might think you're a safe space. Here's what happens on islands when you're by yourself. Craziness. If you've seen Castaway, you're... Your volleyball becomes your best friend because you need connection. You need it. But then a volleyball becomes your best friend and that seems normal. When I'm not in, in community that's healthy, where, where I get hurt, but I forgive and I stay in relationship. When I'm not in that kind of community, I live on crazy island and crazy seems normal. And how do I get out of that? I come and I be in this and I let the Lord, right? Because the Lord is always saying, hey, see this thought and attitude? See this thing you think is your personality? It's a third arm and it's not going to work. It's something growing out of your ear and we need to get rid of it. And I'm, I'm learning from second graders because it's just like, it's so here, but it's, it's here too. It's here, right? It's everywhere. I can't click anywhere without being offended. I literally can't. And some of you wisely aren't on Facebook and I bless you. I'm considering a move to a commune in Montana. I like, it seems enticing, but that is crazy island right there. Dang it. But it does seem easier. Right? But what is, the Father says, I pray that they would be one. Oh, that means I have to be with people. <laughs> I pray that they would be one, that the world would see Jesus. And I, like, so if we don't do this, if we don't let the truth set us free, and if we don't walk in forgiveness, and do this, this, the veil is still there. I believe there's a, there's, a, there's a division that happens. It is the Lord. He's saying, yes, yes. <laughs> side button, side button. Um, keep going, keep going. I want, so I've talked about forgiveness. I want to talk briefly about the truth. I know I'm going over. Um. And we don't have a clock that says stop here, but like, I think that the Lord is saying, hey, you got two minutes. The truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. I have one particular young man that I'm learning from in the second grade who lets nothing stick to him. I think that maybe you need to learn... Not my fault, not my, nope, not me, everybody else, everybody else. Literally lets nothing, nothing. He finds the best excuses for why it's never his fault. And I am working with this young man. I, like, I have had innumerable one-on-one -on -one conversations where I'm just, okay. I, I listen, and then I ask pretty much a question that's a yes or no, right? Well, so did you... X, Y, Z, the answer is yes or no. And he will find a way to make it their fault. When I have observed, I have heard, and I know it's, it's him. 
And it's him with that person and that person. And that, he's hard to put in a group, let me tell you. That person, and yet it's exactly what he needs. And it's exactly what we need. Right? But if I never partner with the truth and I say, yeah, that is the thought and the attitude of my heart. You're right, Jesus. It takes a lot more energy to keep scooting away from the truth. <laughs> that is a lot of energy rather than just going, you're right. You're right, Jesus. And when as soon as you as soon as you confess that, boom, freedom. Boom, like immediately, we are so convinced that, that if I never get caught or I never admit, we are convinced that we'll be better off. And I admit, it's less embarrassing to ourselves. It doesn't, it doesn't open up shame. Nobody else sees that, right? You just, again, you can live on Crazy Island and do that but it doesn't bring community and it doesn't bring freedom. It doesn't bring freedom. It doesn't bring those things. How do we get there? Hmm. Here's the invitation I believe that the Lord wants to speak. Let him prune you, first of all. Just, just stand still and let it happen. <laughs> Here's, but he's inviting you into this. Psalm 1611 says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. There's a fullness that can be experienced in his presence. But it's connected to this. Because John 15 says this, remain in my love. Remain connected. So that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. We do nothing without the vine. The only way to get the new that God has for us now is to be a flexible container. And I think God is really good at remaking and restoring, right? And he says, ah, I can fix that. Because you know what? Songs aren't magic, and, and just showing up here won't fix you. You've got to agree with truth, and you've got to walk in forgiveness, and I would add connectedness to others. And that will exponentially increase your ability to sense his presence, to experience his presence, because you'll be experiencing it here. And I've been experiencing it here with second graders. <laughs> And it's not, again, the Lord isn't talking to me about my outward expression. We can do that, but he's talking to me here. What are you thinking towards that kid? What's your attitude towards that difficult one? Like, I'm just, like, super honest, right? Like, I feel like if I was in my wheelhouse, Lord, it would be easier. And yet, this is where I'm at. And I want to do my best to, okay, heart open, flexible container. What do you want me to learn? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to invite the Lord to search us and know us. To create in us a clean heart. To renew a right spirit with us. Because I know as I'm speaking, like I'm talking about my experience. But we all need this. I, I fully believe it. Okay, I'm just extending that over you. We need clean hearts. I'm not looking at you and saying, you're dirty, you're dirty. I'm not doing that. But at the very deepest, I always want to be willing to say, whatever it is, Lord. Like, I don't need to take my personal, special personality trait with me everywhere. Go ahead. Chop it off. Let's learn to live. Bring new wine out of me. I always thought that 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 verse talked about old people and young people. Please, I'm not the only one, right? The old will burst because they're old. They don't like new styles of worship. And the new means new and young. 
And that's not what it means. The Lord is saying, I'm doing a new thing. Are you a flexible container to receive? And will you keep being a flexible container to receive and to keep connecting? I want you to just, I want you to stand. Because you're sleepy. And it's warm in here. And I want you to just put your hands out. I'm, I'm going to pray. And we're just going to invite the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, we say, come search us and know us. Try us and know our anxious thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in us and lead us in your path. So come and search us. Come create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit in us. Any thought, any attitude that you want to adjust, we say, come and speak to us about it. Because we want to be a flexible container so that you can move in us, so that we can experience your presence individually, but as a group as well. Because nothing happens all by, all by, when we're all by ourselves. Your call is to always be connected, to always be together, to always be working on family, to be working on unity, and we want to surrender to that. So thank you for the work you have begun. You're faithful to complete it. We're all in process, and we're all still looking to you, and forgiveness is great, and the truth sets us free. So come and do that in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you would like to partner with our ministry, please visit us at welcomenewlifeassembly.org. 